Today, we are back to Romans for a whole one Sunday, but that works out as we get to finish this chapter. So because everything has been divided up and segmented out, I know you guys just have absolutely no idea what was in the rest of Romans 8. So let's do a quick recap and make sense of that, shall we? God has delivered his people. How has he done that? In Christ. God has transformed his people. How has he done that? In Christ. We are called, therefore, to live differently. Why? Because we are called to live in Christ. See, you're you're picking up a theme here. I like that. Our hope and the world's hope is not here. It is in Christ. Now, with all of that said, that was the last two sections of Romans chapter 8. That leads to this section. And second warning, real quick, this is not in my notes, so I just need to make sure we throw this out there. This is a lot. I'm warning you now. Part of me almost divided this, but I didn't want to split this chapter into like a month separating it out. So we're probably not going to get everything the way that you would like us to get through it. And I'm sorry about that. Yes, there's probably some stuff that we skipped. There's some more stuff we could have got into, but at some point we have to make progress. So some decisions were made. I'm not thrilled with all of them, but because of the way the calendar works and making sure we can keep everything straight, we're going to try to get through all of this and it's going, there's going to be some sections we kind of go a little quick on. Okay. You've been warned. So that means this week, what the work of God in Christ actually is. So the nuts and bolts of it. So all that stuff in Romans 8, where God has redeemed his people, he's sanctifying his people, their hopes are placed in Christ, all of that. What does that actually look like? How does that actually go? How are the gears turning? That's part of this section. And then the second part of this section is, what does that mean for us in the world? So based on those nuts and bolts and everything that God has done, so what? So that's kind of like the two sections here, and and you're going to be able to see it if you're not familiar with this chapter. There is a really clear line of demarcation where we could have split this, but we're going to try to push it together and see if we can make sense of it. You ready? All right, let's dive in. Verse 26. (laughs) In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. All right, see, stop. See, Paul has already done it. In the same way, what do you mean in the same way? We have to go back for what's us a couple of weeks. This is compared to the hope and the perseverance that we have that mirrors the world. So you have to see the previous section as the world is groaning, as our hope should be realized in that, in that same groaning. In that same way, the Spirit helps with our weaknesses, which is part of your first encouragement here. You persevere not because you are awesome and you can't fail. You persevere because the Spirit that is in you perseveres. And we will build on that momentarily. So in the same way, the spirit also helps our weaknesses for we do not know how to pray as we should. This was part of the warning from earlier this morning. What do you focus on? What do you want? Where are your hopes and your dreams and your desires usually focused? We don't know how we should pray, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So Again, this is a comparison to that previous section. As the world groans in hope, the spirit at work in you groans in anticipation and in sanctification. The good news, though, is the world is groaning externally for a hope. The spirit is groaning for you internally in hope. He's accomplishing what he has promised. So things like Philippians 1. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, why can Paul have such a hope? Because this is what Christ has promised his people, Luke 12. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, 
Do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, first big timeout. I'm going to try not to die in this ditch here. That does not mean, Christian, that you should just live your life willy-nilly. Well, the Spirit will give me utterance when the time comes. I don't need to pray, and I don't need to read my Bible, and I need to do any of these things. When the time comes, Bible verses will descend from on high, fill my brain, and I will spout them like Jesus or something like that. Okay, and you laugh. There are entire denominations built on the idea that that's how preaching should be done. Doesn't drive me crazy at all. I'm fine. Fine. <laughs> no, the assumptions are what? Why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? Well, in order to do what someone says, you have to first know what? What they said. The assumptions of your New Testament are that you will be a people of prayer, a people of fellowship, a people of studying the word, a people of the word of God, a people who are living this out. And because of that, because you have filled your life and your mind and your spirit with all of these wonderful things, when the time comes, the Holy Spirit is not sitting there like tiny Tim at Christmas dinner trying to figure out how we should divide that last pea to, you know, remember Mickey trying to slice the pea so that everybody has something to eat? You guys watch this, right? Come on. No, instead the Holy Spirit is at the Golden Corral Buffet going, ooh, look at all the things we have to choose from. You know what's appropriate for this occasion? The pot roast. Give him the pot roast. Sorry, the analogy broke down a little bit there, but I think it still works. (laughs) Because of who you are in Christ, because the Spirit has not abandoned you, because he has carried you forward, you actually have a font from which to draw your answers. You actually have a worldview from which to evaluate what you are being accused with and how you should answer. This is the work that is being done so that when the rubber meets the road, to go back to our constant driving analogies, when the rubber meets the road, you are prepared and you are secure. This is not a command. The Holy Spirit will give you what you need when you need it. Yes, because you've been preparing your entire life for that moment. Who you are, what you've read, what you've studied, the people you've been around have prepared you so that in that time, the Holy Spirit's like, bing, hit them with that one. Uno reverse, we win. That's the goal. So, Holy Spirit is doing that. Verse 27. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In order to make sense of that, and this is where Paul doesn't help you out by giving you nouns. He's like, we're just going to give everybody a pronoun. There's going to be like three different people and they're all he. Figure it out. This is where understanding your Trinity is so very important. Being reminded that your New Testament gives you a Trinitarian presentation of God and what he is doing. So let's rewind to the Old Testament, things like Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Now, let's be honest, because I know you are people and you live in the world. When you think God of the Old Testament, you immediately think Holy Spirit, right? No, you don't. You don't. You don't and I don't. It doesn't make you a bad person. It might give you some bad theology on occasion, but it doesn't make you completely evil. There are other things that make you evil, okay? We'll cover those later. Um, When you think God of the Old Testament, you think what? 
You think the Father. That's just how you think. The problem with that is we have a tendency sometimes to then segment out God. And we forget that the attributes that are true of the Father, as they are given in the Old Testament, are true of the Son and are true of the Spirit. So let's take Psalm 139. That, is, that omniscience is true of the Son, John 2. When Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. See, that was the problem in John 2. Why are they believing? Ooh, look, fancy miracles. Stop doing the fancy miracles. What do you stop having? Stop having all these fancy new followers. Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus doesn't entrust himself to them because they have not entrusted themselves to him. They're just following for the miracles. And Jesus knows this because he knows what is in the heart of man because Jesus is God. So what is true of the Father is true of the Son is also true of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2. Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now, that doesn't mean the sun is over there going, I don't know what we're doing. I can't think. Paul is making a comparison to do what? Demonstrate that the Spirit is God, that he has the same omniscience. And that is good for you because, Christian, what's your most immediate connection to the work of God? It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. That guiding, correcting, you know, the get back on path here, get back on track. That conscience-informing work that God is doing is being accomplished by the Spirit. Imagine if the Holy Spirit had to do that without knowing the mind of God. Be like driving in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden your GPS is like, um, 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 acquiring satellite. Have you ever done this? It's awesome when you're trying to actually get directions in town, and because of the buildings, the satellite's going, I, you're somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that would be bad. That's bad enough when you're in traffic, you know, when it's really bad? When you're trying to make moral decisions that would actually affect your eternal destiny. That would be even worse, wouldn't it? No, the Holy Spirit's not receiving downloads. He is and was and is to come. Therefore, he knows and he instructs, and his instruction is therefore good. So, because of this, because of this trust, this is part of the foundation that Paul is building. That as you operate, you operate in the power of the Spirit who, because he is God, will persevere, will accomplish the promises of God, will accomplish the good work of God, and is one in whom you can trust. Okay? That's important because if you fail that, then, well, the next part is going to get messed up. And, and I, as soon as I read this verse, you're going to realize why this is such a big deal. So, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It is coffee cup verse time. And you know how much I love the coffee cup verses. You know, we take these Bible verses, we stick them on motivational posters and coffee mugs, and we're like, this is my life verse. And I've already told you what my life verse is, so you don't have to worry. Mine is Nehemiah 13.25. Nehemiah and I beating people and pulling out their beards in the name of the Lord. <laughs> I, I just love that the Old Testament holds up a guy and be like, Lord, I beat people for you. <laughs> hey, hey, it's a picture of Christ going into the temple, isn't it? <laughs> Anyway, no, this is, this is one of those coffee cup verses, and the reason it's a coffee cup verse is because we love the idea of that as long as we pull it out of its context completely, because then we don't have to deal with any of its implications. Well, you know who's not going to let you get away with that now, don't you? 
So with the context of the work of the Spirit, let's also define what's going on here. What's the pop quiz time? You ready? We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do you know what the first word we have to define in that is, right? What do you think? What do you think is the first word we got to define? We got to define good. We better define good because if we don't define good and define it biblically, how will we define good? Oh, what could possibly go wrong with the answer to that question, right? I'll define some good. You'll define some good. The church over there will define some good. And then we'll all be deciding that God is going to give us what? All that is good, which is, yeah, see, this is a problem. This is a bad, bad plan. So we want to define good biblically. So let's borrow from another book that was written first. Let's say something like James 1. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. So James's first definition of good is what? Salvation from God, the redeeming of his people. I got news for you. That's Paul's good here in Romans 8 as well. But don't just take my word for it. How might Jesus define something that is good? John 3, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. I think that's a pretty good definition of good. I would like to not receive the wrath of God. How about you? So what should I be doing? Following after the Son who defines what is good and right for me. Now, with that in mind, we're talking about the work of the Spirit, interceding for his people, accomplishing the work of God, bringing them to a good end. We are talking about then the work of God being to being good for those who are called by God. We have to define, here's the nuts and bolts portion, because you can't read this without the rest of it. So let's actually read the rest of it, which starts in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, and remember the he here is God. So let's get a pause right there. For those whom he foreknew, who's doing all the work there? Am I doing any work there? Are you doing any work there? That sounds an awful lot like God's doing some work there. Remember, the work of salvation is a work that is based upon the work and accomplishment of God for the glory of God, not you and the glory of you. Things like 1 Peter 1. To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. This is one of those things that gets people really uncomfortable, so let's settle this right now. Who changes the hearts and minds of men? God does. You don't. Trust me, if you did, that person you're worried about meeting at family reunion time or at Christmas or at Thanksgiving, would you be worried about them? Because you would be able to do what? I'm going to win the argument this year. This is the year I take them down. Here's my Bible verses. And yet you do that and you give them all the Bible verses, then you go home and be like, what did I get wrong? How? What did I? You didn't. You cannot change the hearts and minds of men. This is the other reason, again, why I forever tell you, when you go out into the world, what's your weapon of warfare? Christ and him crucified, the gospel of God, the message of who Christ is and what he has done, because that's the work that the Spirit uses. That's the means that he, that he uses to accomplish his changing. Again, you don't persevere because you're spanky and awesome. You persevere because the Holy Spirit who is in you will persevere. So you lean on the accomplishment of God, not in some things, but in all things. So that's the starting point here for Paul, that those whom God knew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. I'm going to pause there. 
We're going to come back to predestined because we're going to use it again in a second. So to become conformed to the image of his son, this work that God has begun, that God is accomplishing, actually has a definable goal. And this is, again, why you have to make sure you always understand what is rightly seen as good, to be conformed to the image of his son. Things like Ephesians 4, that God gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers. Why would he do such a thing? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. See, this is one of those things that we lose because we think we've made it somewhere. Like, sorry, parents. What's the goal of parenting? Like, why for we do that? So the kid will pay his taxes on time and get out of my house and not put me in an old age home when I'm, you know, incapable, right? Is that the goal? No, 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 we've missed something. No, we want them to actually mature in Christ. Why would we want such a thing? Christian, what's your goal? What are you supposed to be doing? Maturing in Christ. So you're looking around going, okay, but I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Stop. Stop. Are you there yet? Therefore, your goal is to do what? Mature in Christ. Yes, you're better than you were, but you aren't there yet. You know how I know you're not there yet? Because you're still here. You're still here, which means God's like, yeah, keep working. Keep walking, but you won't knock down that wall. You know, sorry. I have to do veggie tales every couple of weeks or else it just doesn't feel right. <laughs> but you have to keep working. This is why I forever tell you, I mentioned this, I think I mentioned this last week. If not, it was the week before I was gone. Um, the danger that we get to is as we get older in life, we're not as able to do things that we used to do. And so we start to think we can't do everything we're supposed to be doing. Well, stop. The problem is not that you can't. The problem is you've misdefined what you're supposed to be doing. Do your skill sets change? Yes. Do your abilities change? Yes. Do your opportunities change? Yes. So figure out how to serve God there. Figure out how to serve God where you are, with who you are, and what you're able to do. That may look different from when you're 15 to when you're 45 to when you're 75 to when you're 105. But you're still drawing breath. You're still working. You're still serving the kingdom. This is the growth and the maturity. This, see, we think maturity is how we act. No, it's how we see the world and how we understand our place in it in light of who God is and what he has done. To become conformed to the image of his son. This is the mature man. This is the work that is being done. Things like Colossians 2. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, overflowing with gratitude. And if you want to want it, part of the reason why is, again, this is part of the building up the saints. You can get a really quick summary verse, 1 Corinthians 11. What does Paul tell the Corinthians that they should do in 1 Corinthians 11? 1? Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. This is the goal. This is why you should be checking your walk, because you are supposed to be leading disciples. This is your work, making disciples in the body, in the world, where God has placed you. As we see you following Christ, we should be following. As they see me following Christ, they should be following. As they see me not following Christ, what should they be doing? You're going the wrong way! Oh, 
my bad. And now we get back on the path and I start to follow because I recognize the person that I'm following isn't following Christ. This is one of the reasons why we don't forget history. This is one of the reasons why we don't lose the Old Testament. This, these are the reasons why we don't just like take our Bible verses and you know, like, pull them out of context and be like, oh, here's my verse. This is the one I should read. This is my Bible verse. There are many like it, but this one is mine. That is not how this works. That's not how any of this works. You keep it all in context. Are you okay over there, woman? <laughs> I've lost my wife. <laughs> She's pulling the hat down over her face. This is why she wears hats on Sunday. <laughs> so, we see all of the faith so that we can put all of our lives into context with who Christ is and what he's doing, not in some of the things, but in all of the things. So, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Notice the switch here. This is still not about you. All of this work by God so that what? Christ would be glorified, Colossians 1. He is the head. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. See, this is the goal of even your salvation. God's redeeming you, pulling you from the muck and the mire and setting you on the path to life is to the glory of God. You exist unto the glory of God. Um, I haven't done this in a while. I used to do this more often. We'll have to get back to this. First question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. See, this is what I mean when I talk about when you get to the end of your Bible, what's the answer? Jesus. See, when you read God works together all things for good, that's going to be his accomplishment in my life. You see, you got to the end of your Bible, and who was your answer? You were. No, that good is the glorification of you in Christ, the exalting of Christ. Jesus is the answer. You are redeemed so that Christ would be glorified, so that the work of the garden, the sin introduced by man, would not be the conquering, but that God would be glorified as he overcomes even our failures and even our iniquity and returns what we failed to exercise that dominion upon creation as God himself accomplishes this and then places us into that. Can, can we use dominion as a verb? Is, is that allowed? Any grammar Nazis in here today? Or am I, are we okay? All, all in favor? Okay. <laughs> so, so that dominionizing is accomplished not by his people, but by him. This is why your work is what it is and why I'm forever telling you to come back to God. So are you part of that now? Should you be extending the dominion of God in your world? Yes. In which avenues of your life? In all things. Because as you enter into your life, so as you, as you deal with your friends, as you deal with your neighbors, as you celebrate holidays, as you pay your taxes, as you go grocery shopping, as you fix the car, as you drive in Illinois' pothole-ridden roads, you do so unto the glory of God. You extend that rule and reign of God into all of these aspects of your life. But, Christian, can you then affect every aspect of every life? No, you, I, I can drive unto the glory of God, but I can't make that idiot over there do it. See the problem here? Some of you caught the reference and the joke in that too. See, this is because what's happened. Sin is still at work in me and sin is obviously still at work in that person over there because look at how they're driving. So dominion has not been extended. Well, what's going to change their heart and mind and what's going to finish changing my heart and mind? The work of God accomplished by him carried forward by him, and realized by him. So who's going to extend that dominion? He will. 
Where we have failed, he will succeed. And as we see that success, we do what? I see, as you see that growth, we talk about all the time. We take those baby steps. We're making progress. What do we do? We celebrate. We celebrate by doing what? Praising the God who has redeemed and accomplished this bit of progress that we have. We rejoice in him, giving him the thanks. This was the last two weeks. Rejoicing in all that he is and all that he does so that his name be praised for what he has accomplished. This is carrying that dominion forward through the accomplishment of God. And we persevere in that because why? The Holy Spirit who is in us persevering and will not allow us to go astray. He will bring us to that good end. That's part of this process. Those whom he knew, he has given his spirit so that they will not fail, so that they will not go astray because God is at work in them. Verse 30. And these whom he predestined, remember, this is, I told you we were going to come back to this. This is part of that work. So all of these people that God has set aside in his knowledge, all those that he knew, he is going to accomplish and finish that work in him. So things like Hebrews 12. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, and by the way, I know I do this every time, but I'm going to do it again. It's, it's part of the... Um, I'm contractually obligated as a pastor to do some of these things. So it's like every time we talk about going up to Jerusalem, I have to remind you that Jerusalem's on a hill and that everybody travels uphill to Jerusalem, even though you know that I'm required to tell you that. Just like every time you see, since we have a great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 12, what, where's, what's the cloud of witnesses? I know you know this. Hebrews 11. It's all those saints in Hebrews 11, all those people that got named and all the people they said, and, and too numerous to count. That's your cloud of witnesses. It's because of those people. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now pause. One of my favorite things to do is remember, so you should be encouraged by the faith of all of those people in Hebrews 11. Have you looked at that list lately? That is not always a who's who of the people you would like to date your daughter. Like Barack makes the list from, from, um, from Judges 4. And you're like, that dude who was so terrified and fearful that we needed a woman to lead in battle, and then he doesn't even get to accomplish the victory, but it's like a chick named Jael gets to do it with a tent spike. I mean, that's, that's, that's a great man of faith. G- Gideon? Great man of faith. I always remember my, my favorite part of Gideon is that because he's so fearful of what's going on. Is it the Midianites? The Mo- anyway, it's somebody. I think it's the Midianites. If it's not the Midianites, I'm sorry. But he's so, fe- so afraid of the Midianites that he's threshing like down in the basement. And the angel, oh, mighty man of God. And Gideon's like, where? <laughs> oh, you meant me. <laughs> Samson? Noah? Abraham? I mean, do they have their moments? Yes. Do they have their good moments? Absolutely. But what also do they have? <laughs> and, and their bad moments are, like, let's be honest. Take some comfort. Hus- ladies, I don't care how bad your husband is. Has he claimed you weren't his wife so that you would be taken in by royalty? <laughs> don't look at him. <laughs> like three of you were just like, mm-hmm. I don't want to know what that look was, because if he's even come anywhere close to that scale, I don't want to know about it, okay? I'd like to keep my, my misconceptions about you. Like, I'm not telling you you should feel great that you're a wonderful husband, but let's be honest, that's a bit of a failure, isn't it? It's slight, minor failure. 
you know, Gideon, great man of faith, right? Kills the Midianites, kicks them out, and then immediately leads Israel into idolatry. Oops. Samson, who systematically broke every, not some, every vow he has before God and dies in spite and anger. This is a great man of faith. Who is accomplishing their salvation? God is. Who is the one carrying them forward? God is. This is where your hope is to be placed. Not in them, a reminder of the frailties, of the brokenness of humanity, of the sin which so easily corrupts. Cast that aside. And you're looking and going, they couldn't cast it aside. How do I cast it aside? Because the Holy Spirit groans within you. The Holy Spirit is giving you good prayers. The Holy, Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is carrying you forward in a way that mirrors the hope of the world so that you will see the accomplishment that God will bring. The Holy Spirit is bringing this to you, and he is accomplishing it because of what God has promised, because of what God has delivered, and because of what God is doing. So those whom he predestined, he also called. Again, are you noticing the recurring theme here? Who keeps doing all the work? Who changes the hearts and minds of men? God goes about the business of reaching out to his people. Romans 1. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Again, I'm not seeing a whole lot of us doing anything. I'm seeing a whole lot of God doing everything, which again, Christian, should be good for you. This is good news for you. If you were responsible for your salvation, what would happen? If you were responsible to grab onto God, John 10 style, and hold on until the end of time, you'd be like, I got God. I am good. Woo! Oh, shoot. Where'd he go? <laughs> And you'd be looking around, it's, a, it's one of those, I don't know where I am, I don't know how I got here, and I don't know how to get back. That's what would happen to you. Who holds you? God. Who pries open his hands? No one. This is why your hope is supposed to be secure in Christ, because it is the work accomplished by God for his, your good, more importantly, though, for his glory. So those whom he called, and these whom he called, he also justified. See, this is where it starts to get really good. Because guess what, Christian? You're now not guilty. This is what it means to be justified. You are not guilty. Romans 3 again. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. There was nothing good in you. We covered this when we went through Romans 3. But Christ is good. And Christ has redeemed you and declared you good and righteous and holy. Colossians 2. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So he is justified, and these whom he is justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. So he has perfected them. Now pause for a second. Did you notice a change there? Was there? Was there a change there? So, when was this work done? Those whom he predestined, when was that done? In the past. He called, when was that done? In the past. And then he justified, when was that done? In the past. And then he glorified, when was that done? You feeling real glorified, Christian? 
You, you, you feeling sinless and spiritually pure and, you know, as pure and fresh as the driven snow? Or do you feel more like the snow when it's been around for a couple of months and we've all driven by it on the side of the highway? <laughs> You're like, look at all that lovely black snow. Yay. <laughs> Be honest, do you feel like that more often than not? That's not how God sees you. This is, again, part of the good news and why I'm forever reminding you forever. Look at yourself. Do what? Ten looks at Christ because this is how you are seen. Second Timothy 2. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to the gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it, eternal glory. John 6. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but will raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Jesus doesn't talk about accomplishing salvation as if there's hope that he might do it, does he? It's what? You're coming. You're, you know, this, this isn't the scene in Jerry Maguire. Who's coming with me? This is, you're coming with me, and you're coming with me, and you're coming with me. Let's go. Oh, okay, we're going. And then you do what? You walk. And this is where you find yourself now. And that pathway is good, and it will be accomplished because it is not based on you. It is not based on anything else. It is based on Christ and Christ alone. What then, verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? See, this is why this is here. This is where the turn begins to make and the application comes down. Because of all that has been laid out, what the Spirit is doing, based on what God has promised. Connor, thank you. Because of what God has promised, because of what the Spirit is accomplishing, this is the question that should be asked because what's the answer? What should then we say? If God is for us, who is against us? The answer is nothing. Who overpowers God? Who undoes his work? Isaiah 43. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there is no strange God among you. So you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And I am God. Even from eternity I am he, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? It's a rhetorical question, because when God grabs something, who's like, oh man, I wanted that. Give it back. <laughs> I'm going to take it from you. No, you're not. Not even a little bit. This is even something Nebuchadnezzar saw. This is the lesson Nebuchadnezzar had to learn in Daniel 4. When he praises God, he says, His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? Something we'll get to later in Romans. That's a question that needs to be remembered. Now, what does that mean for us as his people? Things like Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? And that continues. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So stop. The reason why your salvation is secure is because God didn't go to all of this trouble so that you might make it down the pathway. Now, like, okay, I've done all of this. Second person of the Trinity has died for your sins. We're sanctifying you. I've implanted the Spirit. Now I put you on the path and hope you make it. Like, that's a dumb plan, isn't it? 
Now, I tell you not to do dumb things. Does God do dumb things? No. So this is part of Paul's argument. If he's going to all of the work to hand over the son, and he is going to die on behalf of his people, then do you think he might be capable or willing to actually finish that job out? Yeah, probably so. Ephesians 2. God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. And this is the effect that it has. This is why 1 John gives you the reminder it does in chapter 4. We love because he first loved us. Now that love isn't, okay, there you go, figure it out, hopefully you're there. No, this is a, this is what has been begun, this is what we are doing, and the accomplishment is secure because God who has accomplished and is accomplishing will accomplish. So, you need that. Why do you need that knowledge? Because now you have to actually deal in a real world. Now you actually have to be reminded that as you go out into the world, you have to do so not based on how you feel about it, not based on what you hoped it might be, but based upon what you know. Now, coming around, what's the most important thing that you know? Who God is, what he is doing in this world. Now stop again. Before we go any further, what is the good that is being accomplished? The salvation of his people so that God would be glorified. Should I trust you people to do that work? <laughs> Should I trust me people to do that work? No, not even a little bit. So God doesn't entrust that salvation to his fallen people. He entrusts it to who? Himself. He calls, he knows, he sanctifies, he glorifies, he accomplishes. So you... As you live in this world, knowing who God is, what he has done for his people, what he will accomplish for his people, now you can look at the world that is around you rightly because you can see it from the perspective of God's redemption, okay? That begins verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God elects, against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. So let's bring this all the way back to the beginning of the chapter. Um, where is the condemnation for those who are in Christ? Verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So if you can't be condemned, what would be the point of accusing you? Verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? See? Amazingly, how these arguments go together. Now, Christian, what's the name of the one who condemns and accuses? Yeah, that's what he does, right? And as we sang this morning, we ain't got time for that, do we? <laughs> Why not? See, this is where rubber meets the road. Why don't you have time for that? See, because, because you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. Because that glorified has already been accomplished in God's sight, even though it has not been realized for you in real time, Satan's work is undone. He is defeated. This is why that doesn't do you any good. I've told you this before. Like, why doesn't Satan just like pop into your bedroom and be like, I'm the devil. Let's make a deal. Challenge you to a banjo contest. Like, why does that not happen? Well, one, because I don't play the banjo. Um, two, would that derail your faith? No, you'd be like, sweet. I'm doing so good that Satan's trying to buy me out. Yes. Like, this would strengthen you. You'd be like, you, you could... You could never be fooled by anything again, could you? This would be like, um, okay, I don't care where you stand on these conspiracy theories. Some of them are funny to me. If you're on either side, I don't care and I don't want to know. But like one of my favorite reactions, my, one of my favorite, okay, I have two favorites. My absolute first favorite conspiracy theory of all time is that birds aren't real. 
Yes, that's a thing. Go do YouTube videos on it. There are these people that tell you birds aren't real. That's, that's my first favorite of all time. My second is always the moon landing one. And the reason why it's my favorite is because there's this video of Buzz Aldrin, who's one of the dudes who walked on the moon. And some guy who claimed the moon landing was faked actually confronted him with it at like this banquet where Buzz Aldrin was getting an award for something. And Buzz Aldrin was like 82 years old, like in a tuxedo and punched the dude like right in the face and laid him out. <laughs> And I'm like, no, like, now I don't, I don't care what you believe about it. Buzz Aldrin believes he walked on the moon. Now, if maybe he's dementia ridden, I don't know, and I don't care. <laughs> but Buzz Aldrin believes he walked on the moon. And if you had walked on the moon, could someone convince you that the moon landing was fake? No, because you'd be like, what, dude? I was, <laughs> eighty-year-old man's ready to go. This, some of you are going to be googling that, looking for that YouTube video later. So. Likewise, this is why the ploy of Satan is to convince the world that he doesn't exist. Because he popped into your bedroom at two in the morning and be like, hey, let's make a deal for your soul. You'd be like, sweet, get out. <laughs> because there would be no convincing you otherwise. This is why the tact is, did God really say? Are you sure you understood love correctly? Hey, what do we really mean by good? See, those are the twists. Those are the attacks. Those are the challenges. Now, why don't you fall for them, Christian? Revelation chapter 12. The great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. This is why you can persevere and this is why you're not worried. Because when you get that accusation, oh yeah, well you dot, 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 dot. You can all insert whatever your sin is for that dot, dot, dot. And you look at yourself and go, yeah, I'm guilty of that. What do you do next? You've looked at yourself. Now what? Now look at Christ. And now I am not guilty. And now I am justified, and now I am glorified, and now I am clean. So you can leave, because we're done here. That's the hope. That's the victory. So who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. This is again where that trinity matters. So the, the father who promised is the one who has planned. Christ is the one who is accomplished, and the Spirit is the one who strengthens and points you to all of that work. You have the Trinitarian work being brought to you day by day. This is, again, why I tell you, you get those little reminders. You get those little gib slaps. Like, okay, that was my bad. Looked at yourself. Now immediately do what? Grab it by the hand. Look back to Jesus. Because what is happening? That sin nailed to the cross. That's why, again, contractually obligated to tell you where Jerusalem is, contractually obligated to remind you about Hebrews 11. Um, as a pastor, I'm contractually obligated to tell you that my favorite hymn is, it is well. <laughs> See, you guys all love Amazing Grace. You know, us on the paycheck side of things, it's, it's always it is well. <laughs> but what's the great line? My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. See, and I don't have to sing it, because you can understand it better, that, and I don't torture your ears like a drowning cat. So, 
That's the work that Christ accomplishes. That's what he does. You look at yourself, you see the sin and iniquity and be reminded what? But Christ has died. This is gone. This is undone. And this is the work that the Spirit is doing. And this is the promise that the Father has made. And this is the accomplishment that Christ has brought. Verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? Now, that's what we call a rhetorical question, because what's the answer to that? No, 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 no. Why? I mentioned it earlier, John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus tells you what? You're mine. You're in. Once you're in, who secures you? I do. Who's undoing that work? Nobody. How do you know that? Because I'm God. And who wins the wrestling match with God? God does. I mean, like, remember when you're, you, you did this, you ever do this with your kids or your nieces or nephews or something? You, like, you grab a little toy and they're like, give me that back. And then they start trying to pry your fingers open and like they're three. And how's that working out for them? Yeah. I don't know what it is about children when they're like birth to what, about six months? It is like the iron grip of death. You cannot win that battle. And then they turn one and they lose all hand strength. <laughs> If you don't believe me, try to get something, try to get like that ring, that, that little ring rattle out of the hand of a nine-month-old baby. I, I could, you can like carry him around like a bucket of water. Be like, look at this. It won't let go. <laughs> don't tell my wife I did that. <laughs> Sorry. Jod actually used to do that. When she was, what, four, six months old, you could pick her up and put her on you, and she'd just grab your shirt, and you could let go and walk around and do stuff. And she's just like, and this is why we call her monkey. <laughs> and she'd just sit there like, eh. and she still makes that noise, actually. But anyway, no, this is the accomplishment. You can't pry that open. You can't pry God's hands open. He has you. He holds you. He accomplishes. So if none of those things will separate, how then do we see those things? That's where Paul finishes up. Verse 36, just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. All right, we're going to pause there. We know that persecution and tribulation doesn't separate us. So what's going on here? Second Thessalonians 2. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. 1 Corinthians 15. My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So those are being laid out to tell you what? Your work glorifies God. Your perseverance glorifies God. As you are living, as you are working, you are being strengthened you are being purified, you are being redeemed day by day. That's why Paul summarizes verse 37. In all these things, so that whole list from verse 35, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. So go all the way back to the beginning of the section. Because the Spirit is groaning and accomplishing, because he is bringing his people to a good end, because this is all based on the work that God has promised and the work that God has delivered, and that work will glorify God and will redeem his people, you, Christian, are secure. 
You can't be driven out. 2 Corinthians 4. We do not lose heart. Though the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And that's mirroring Romans 5, 1 Peter 1, and James 1. So pick which one you like best. Romans 5, 1 Peter 1, James 1. What are they all telling you? You face difficulties in the world, you bear up. You face, dif- you face tribulation in the world, you are being redeemed. What's being produced? Your hope is strengthened. Your faith is proven. You are being purified and redeemed day by day so that your faith would be strengthened, so that your salvation would be secure, so that you would know. See, Satan's not stupid. So he doesn't show up in your bedroom at two in the morning to negotiate with you. He tries to lie to you. He tries to connive with you. He tries to convince you and he tries to trick you. And you struggle and you work and you overcome by the grace of God. So how do you know? Because you've never asked that question. You've never sat staring at the ceiling at four in the morning going, I'm not sure today. (laughs) You've, You've never once done that. And I've told you what, how do you know? You look back. Where were you? Where were you when you started? Where are you now? And I don't mean like, where do you live? I mean, how's your walk? How's your faith? What have you overcome? What has God brought you through? How have you been strengthened? How have you persevered? For, uh, Philippians 1, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. How do you know that? Because you've persevered through the difficulties of life. You've overcome the struggles of life. Your faith has been proven. If X, Y, or Z did not shake you from your trust in Christ, then whatever is after the alphabet has no chance either. That's the tribulation. That's the struggle. That's the point. That's how you are confirmed and how you are solidified and how you know where you stand in Christ. This is the work that he accomplishes. Not keeping you from everything. That would be the misreading of Romans 8, but bringing you through the midst of everything. Verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. So if you want to summarize that with bad Motown, there ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no river wide enough. (laughs) Will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Because you know who God is, because you know what he has done, because the spirit has been given, and because this is all based on who God is and how his accomplishment will be finished, you are secure and you praise and you wait. In the midst of these things, in the midst of these things. So things like 2 Timothy 1, for this reason I suffer. And I suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. I'll give you two Old Testament examples. One is top five favorite Bible verses. It's, um, and I always give you their real names because, again, I'm contractually obligated as a pastor to do this. Um, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. You know who they are, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Worship the image, or else I will throw you into the furnace. And who will be able to deliver you from my hand? Oh, king. I I love that line because I think that it was delivered with utter sarcasm and contempt. Oh, king, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. For our God is able to save us from your hand. But even if he does not, we will not bow down and we will not worship the image you have set up. 
Into the fire we go. Whee! I mean, that's the part. That's the best line right there. Even if he does not. Can he? Yes. Does he? Well, he does. But that's not why. Because right is right, wrong is wrong. This is idolatry, and my answer is no. This is, um, I told you, uh, two favorite, yeah, that many. Can't use fingers now, suddenly. Uh, two favorite martyrdom stories in all of history is always, is always back and forth between um, Polycarp and, um, oh, shoot, names just went right out of my head. The, the, well, thank you, Lattimore and Rid- Ridley. I'm like the two English bishops. They just, they, their names were right there, and then they left. But um, Polycarp might edge out on occasion because 80-something-year-old man, they're going to tie him to the stake so they can get him killed. And he's like, nah, no need, I'm good. <laughs> I'll just stand here. And, and he does. And he does. Latimer and Ridley are play the man because, you know, no, no. That's, that's, that's unintentional Bible humor. That's great. Play the man, Master Ridley, for I trust this day we will light such a candle in all of England that will not be put out. Like, that's a level of comedy and joking I'm not even sure I'm capable of. And I am capable of some, it, some really inappropriate comedy and joking. But I'm not even sure I can make that joke when they're about to burn me alive. What are these all proving? That you persevere. What's, how do you come through? The only way out is through. You don't go around. You don't find another way. There are no shortcuts. You persevere in Christ. Because again, why is he giving you this? For his glory. So that you will glorify him, enjoy his presence, and rejoice in the salvation of what he has delivered you from. How do you do that? By persevering and trusting and growing your faith. This is why, again, what's your funeral psalm? We know it, but we, we, forget, the, we forget the implications. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Doesn't sound lovely. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his sake, for his name's sake. See, that all sounds wonderful. This, why wouldn't you follow a God like that? That's the good stuff, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Wait a minute, I thought we were in green pastures and quiet waters. Yeah, where are those green pastures and quiet waters? No, they're in the middle of it. In the valley of the shadows, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, all of those things are enjoyed enjoyed in the midst of this world, in the midst of the darkness and of the sin and of the temptations, and we rejoice in the middle of them. Why? Because that's not us. That's not where we are. We see rightly. We have ears to hear and eyes to see, and I'm so proud of myself for not getting that backwards. (laughs) Because I almost did. But because of that, we look at the world and we don't see darkness. We see the strengthening light of Christ and we see the joy that is set before us and we see what he has promised being realized and we know that there is a good and righteous kingdom and that he will bring us there. So what do we do in the meantime? We shine that light. We glorify the name of the God who has saved us. We proclaim his name in every chance we get and we trust that as we do so, he will redeem us and he will redeem all who are his people because he will leave none behind. I don't know who they are. You don't know who they are. You don't know how they're gonna respond to anything. So what do you do? You shine the light. Where? Now. Where are you? Shine the light. Sprinkle the salt, proclaim his goodness, rejoice in who he is, glorify his name, and enjoy who he is where we are. Let's pray.